Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Filter. On this show, we recognize that the world can be a confusing place to live in. And so what I seek to do on this show is to equip you to live with biblical clarity in our confusing world so that you can face the chaos of life with wisdom, integrity, and courage. On today's episode, I'm glad to be welcoming back Andy Bannister. Andy is a highly in-demand speaker, writer, and broadcaster. Based in the United Kingdom, he's the director of the Solace Center for Public Christianity and Evangelism and Training Ministry. He is an adjunct professor at Wycliffe College, University of Toronto, and an adjunct research fellow at Melbourne School of Theology in Australia. In all that he does, Andy is passionate about getting the gospel out of the four walls of the church and equipping Christians to share their faith in their communities. Andy is married to Astrid, and they have two children, Catriona and Christopher. They live in England. Did I pronounce your daughter's name right? You know, we deliberately named her Aaron just to trip up Americans. So you have a very, very good game. She's actually, you did what a lot of Americans do and go for pronouncing every vowel. She's actually got lots of silent vowels. She's Katrina as in the hurricane. It's Katrina. The Scottish, it's the Scottish spelling of Katrina. And, okay. Uh, she's got a lot of vowels in there. So, uh, so no, you valiant attempt. Yeah. May I should have asked you before we started recording. Just funny, I, re- I, I saw you reading the bio from the book. I thought, now nah, this will be fun. Is he going to... Some people have a go at it. Some people just scoot right over it and go, he's got two children. So, <laughs> and he has... Trying, yeah, just two, yeah, great. So, Katrina. Beautiful. Katrina. Okay, awesome. Well, uh, yeah, Andy, it's great to have you back on the show. We were just talking... Uh, the last time we had you on was two years ago. It's crazy to think that was two years ago. Time has flown by. We talked about it, actually. That's where's where's that time gone? That was the middle. Yeah. Of, that was the middle of the pandemic, wasn't it? We yeah, were all, we were all still podcasting in face masks or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's why it's hard to remember that that whole period of life has been memory hold. Like Groundhog um, Day, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we had you on about two years ago, and we talked about uh, your last book, which was on um, do Christians and Muslims worship the same God. And you got this new book that is coming out. Um, it's going to be releasing in about a month called How to Talk About Jesus Without Looking Like an Idiot. There it That's is. The one. Yeah, yes. there's, there's the cover for, uh, for those guys who are watching. So, you know, I mean, that title is uh, promising a lot because some <laughs> of us... You know, just saying, Andy, promising that to me, that's a big promise. Yes, so right. tell me how... How do you back up that promise in this book? Back up the promise. Well, the first thing I should say, by the way, certainly um, because you mentioned my daughter. My daughter the other day said, Dad, why is it you specialize in writing books that really just have one-word answers? So do Christians and Muslims worship the same God? No. How to talk about Jesus without looking like an idiot? Don't. Um, <laughs> that would be her take. So, uh-huh. yeah, so the, the, the big idea, I think, behind this book, uh, Aaron, came from, and I begin, the first chapter in this book tells the story of you know my first career in my first six years of my working life working for a hospital um, here in the UK and outside of work I was very active in my church very very much a committed Christian very involved in all kinds of things Um, but inside work I took my I hid my faith away I I didn't talk about my faith I did everything I could to avoid being outed as a Christian because I was afraid I was afraid of what would happen if um, people people found out I was a Christian and I had nothing to say Um, so really this book grows out of right wanting to write the book that I could give to my 25-year-old self if I had a time machine and go, mm-hmm. dude, you need to read this. Because since then, I've met tens of thousands of Christians 
whose story is similar. And there's no silver bullet. I wish there were a silver bullet again. This is the one thing to do. Um, but if I was going to reduce it to one thing, well, two things. If I was going to reduce it to two things, I would say learn to listen well and learn to ask good questions. There's a vast mm. amount more in the book. But I think often what goes wrong in evangelism is we think we have to memorize all of this content, all of this theology and arguments and all this other stuff and be able to summarize the gospel in 45 seconds, you know, complete with footnotes while standing on the head of a pin upside down. And unless we can dump all of that onto our friends, we're not gonna we're not gonna succeed. But it's interesting yeah. when you look into that when you look in the gospels and you look especially at Jesus, who really should be our template, time and time again, he took the time, he slowed down. He engaged with people where he found them, and he asked great questions. And I think if we can learn from that, that leads to good conversations. And if we could just learn to talk more naturally with friends, neighbours and colleagues, and create conversational space in which we can then talk naturally about our faith, I think the Holy Spirit can do amazing things. So there's a lot mm -hmm. of stuff in there, a lot of very practical stuff, but if you force me to reduce it to two words, listen and ask questions. That's three words, actually. But mm. okay. Yeah, that's good, and obviously very complimentary. Um, your good questions aren't going to be worth much if you don't listen well and you got to listen well in order to ask good questions. So, uh, it makes sense. Yeah. You know, and I think that a lot of people, uh, whenever it comes to evangelism, uh, really, how should we put it either miss the mark or could greatly improve. Um, because either on the one hand, like you said, they, they freeze up or they just evade any kind of evangelistic gospel conversation uh, because they're they're afraid of getting into it completely, so they just hide. Or on the other hand, I think sometimes you have people who, with with all the best intentions, um, just kind of overload the person. They they do way too much talking. Uh, they they just start spitting out everything that they love about Jesus and that they've learned about the gospel and that they've read in books and so on. And like I said, with the best of intentions, mm. but then the person who's sitting there just uh, yeah, it, it, it's too much they don't really feel like they're heard. And so in the end, it's, it's, it's not that effective. Uh, and so, yeah, I love that. I think that that's the big things that I've learned with evangelism is, is, um, is yeah, it's just asking good questions and, and listening. It, it's, it comes down to doing something as simple as being interested in the person that you're talking to. Yeah, and that, by the way, is a great starting point because I think many people don't know where to start in terms of evangelism or start in terms of perhaps in improving their their skills when it comes to evangelism because it's worth thinking about evangelism as a, as a skill just like anything we can learn to get better right? the more we the more we read the scriptures the, the easier we find bible study the more we pray the more we, the easier we find that the more if we preach the easier we find that and evangelism the more you do it the easier you find it and one way i think Aaron, of improving our skills there is yeah just to learn to take an interest in people and one of the examples i give in the book is look if you if you're really a nervous individual and don't know really how to start talking about your faith start just with the exercise of taking an interest in people's lives and family and everything else that's going on. So for example, if you are someone who occasionally finds yourself in an Uber, make it your job in the 20 minute ride, wherever you're going, find out about your driver. You know, do they drive full time? What do they do with the rest of the time? Have they got a family? Have they got friends? What, what do they do? Take an interest in them and they'll probably take an interest in you and that makes it mm -hmm. easier to find openings for the gospel. Or equally, look for those people in your life that you intersect with regularly but don't take an interest in maybe maybe the mailman who you know delivers your mail in the morning. You, you've you've seen the guy for months, but you've never actually stopped and slowed down. If you pop into a local store to to pick up a, you know a, a, a pint of milk or um, you know a newspaper or something, take an interest. Talk to the person behind the counter. Make it make it part of your ministry just to take that interest in people, and then be praying 
for the people that you bump into. Because the more we take an interest, the more we, we take an interest in others' lives, it's far more likely that, as I say, firstly, they're going to take an interest in yours, and then mm-hmm. secondly, the Holy Spirit's going to give you a nudge because they've just said something that there's a very obvious piece of low-hanging fruit off. You know, one really good, really low-key example, if you're chatting away with someone, you've got to know someone, a colleague, or, you know, someone at the store you see regularly, and they mention something's going on in their life, they're a bit stressed today because their mother-in-law's ill or something, take the plunge and say, hey, would it be okay, would you mind if I, if I prayed for them? Um, off to pray. And you'd be amazed how often something as straightforward as that can start gospel conversations. So you take an interest. There's a whole lot more you can you can learn to do as well. There's certainly a place for theology and apologetics and argument and more sophisticated stuff. But I think that comes secondarily. I think mm-hmm. if we we'll learn if we learn to be people who take an interest, that people like hanging out with us because we obviously care and are interested in them, there will be so many more opportunities to just talk naturally in everyday conversations about Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, that's so good. I think it's, you know, unless the person that you're talking to is an absolute narcissist, it's pretty much a guarantee that whenever you show interest in them, then they're going to reciprocate that. Because it's just a natural, uh, it's just a natural inclination. It's a principle that I learned years ago, that uh, people find interested people interesting. So whenever you show interest, then they're more curious about you. It's just something that happens naturally. And so, uh, and so it's a really powerful tool, like you said. And another good thing about that is that if you, all you do is spend your time, like you said, reading theology or apologetics books, you kind of, you build up these, these paper men in your mind that aren't really flesh and bone embodied people with a variety of beliefs, contradictory or complementary. And instead you just have this idea, like this system of thought. And so sometimes you'll enter into a conversation ready with all these responses and points for a person that, you know, maybe only holds half of them because their actual worldview is, is very much a mix. And like I said, uh, possibly even incoherently a mix of different positions and, you know, beliefs and so on. But if you had to, um, identify some of the fears that hold people back from sharing their faith, what, what fears could you identify? Yeah, well, again, thinking back to my own story, Aaron, and to go, if I look at the fears that I had, and then in talking to others, I've realized I, I'm, I was not alone by a long way. So I think the first one is the, is the one really that we put on the, on the cover of the, of the book. It's the, it's the fear of looking like an idiot. Mm. Um, you know, basic, you know, human psychology 101 is we want to be liked. And we want people to like us. We want people to be drawn to us and, and not find us irritating. And what I think there's a fear that if we talk about Jesus uh, at work, at school, among our unchurched friends, then we're going to look we're going to look stupid. We're going to say something that's going to just cause us to be a social outcast. So that's that's fear number one. Perhaps the the the, the related fear to that is fear of making God look bad. That was one I think I had in the workplace. Well, what if I say something so crass? that actually it does damage. What if I literally do damage the gospel because I say something, uh, I make a, a, a hash of it, and the person goes away thinking badly of the gospel because of something I've said. Um, so I remember as a younger Christian thinking, well, maybe the best thing to do is say nothing and just leave it to people who are more experienced. I think a third fear is exactly is, is, is similar to that more experienced piece of thinking well maybe evangelism's not for me you know there's a praise the lord you know god has god has given us billy graham and c.s lewis and you know tim keller who died the other week rebecca mclaughlin you know the list goes on isn't it great that god's given these these men and women who are gifted i'm not gifted i'll let them do it perhaps my job is 
I don't know, stack of the chairs after the church service. There's that fear. Um, and then a couple more I'd add in there. I think for those of us in the workplace, there can be fear of standing out. Workplaces and actually universities can be very conformist uh, places, increasingly so these days. And so there can be that fear of, well, if I stand out as a Christian, I'm going to look different. And then I'm a target, mm-hmm. right, for all kinds mm-hmm. of things. And lastly, last one I would throw in there, fear of being asked a question I can't answer. What if I talk about my faith? I out myself as a Christian and somebody says, well, what about? And I get thrown an objection about science or suffering or sex or even a topic that doesn't begin with letter S. Um, mm-hmm. You know, what do I do? And that fear shut me down. So I think those are those are four or five of the common fears. I throw a few more there in, there in the book. And one thing I would say right away, by the way, but if people listening to this, if you are someone listening to this who is nervous about evangelism and, and, and do find these things a bit intimidating, a great exercise is to sit down and just pray through and reflect through. Do it with a friend if it would help you. Work out what those fears are. Don't just say, I'm afraid of showing my faith. That's too that's too broad. Try and figure out what the exact fear is or fears are. Because when we name our fears, then we can start processing them, addressing them, praying around them, thinking, okay, what might help here? So being specific mm-hmm. can be really helpful. Yeah, that's really good. One of the fears that you mentioned is one that I've heard very often as a pastor, whenever I'm talking to people about uh, evangelism or they're asking me for advice, uh, one of the, th- that one being that, you know, I just don't feel like I'm gifted in evangelism. Mm-hmm. I'm happy to help with hospitality or feeding the homeless or something else like that. But, but just talking to people about Christianity, faith, you know, these heavy topics, I just don't think it's for me. And I, and I always try to, um, on the one hand, not burden them with something that that is is too heavy for them to carry and say, oh, well, it's too bad. You got to be an evangelist anyway. But then still challenge them to get outside their comfort zone and think about some, you know, some creative ways and some outside the box ways that they can start sharing their faith. So for that fear in particular, I'm interested to hear what, how do you typically counsel people and help them? Because that'll help me whenever I'm talking to people well not dissimilar to, to you Aaron so encourage you to hear you do some similar things but but start where, where you where you began there I think one reason people get hung up is they have a particular model of evangelism in their mind so you know I, know, I remember when I was I threw the you know, Billy Graham's name in earlier and I talk about that in the book when I was I think 17 18 Billy Graham came to the UK and I went and heard him preach and actually I found that quite disempowering because on the one hand I was hugely encouraged that God used the guy but then I came away thinking well the evangelism therefore looks like the ability to stand on a stage and preach and and, and see thousands come to to Christ I couldn't make any connection between that and my workplace Um, so the first thing to do is help people think about what do we you know are there different ways of evangelism does it does it need to look like that or can it look like other things you know you mentioned hospitality there that i think is a really untapped area for evangelism somebody's got the gift of hospitality we'll say what about maybe evangelism for you looks like what about if once a month you invite a different neighbor a different friend who's not a christian around for for a meal and just learn to chat naturally take an interest like we've talked about in their lives learn some of the sort of things i teach in the book about how you can start spiritual conversations really gently but do in the context of a meal we're not expecting you to go and stand on the street corner or do a door-to-door evangelism that's not you that that gift of hospitality which is a gift god can use because the thing the big thing for me aaron that i always want to say to people is look some people clearly have the specific calling 
to be evangelists. You know, they are naturally gifted, whether they're on a stage or, you know, I've got a couple of friends who literally just have to talk to somebody for 30 seconds and they seem to become Christians. They're just so gifted. It's, 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 it's painful for the rest of us to, to mm-hmm. watch. We thank God for them, but we're also like, man. Um, but then on the other hand, um, to go, all of us are called to be faithful witnesses in the place that God has called us. The Bible doesn't know about the category non-evangelizing Christian. That's not a category that exists. Yes, God recognizes we are all wired differently, but all of us are called to share our faith and bear faithful witness to, 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 to who Jesus is and to his lordship and what he's done for us. But I think the hang up for people is the way and the method and the style. And so one thing I always say to pastors, and you am sure you figured this out for yourself, is, okay, help people see lots of different models. And mm. um, yeah. one thing we've done at Solas, for example, that we got really good feedback on was a year or so ago, we ran a series on the on the Solas website called Frontlines, where every two weeks we interviewed a different Christian in a different profession and talked about how they were sharing their faith through the workplace. And what was beautiful was every story was different. Everyone did it differently. And we got great feedback from those who you know come to our, our website that it was so valuable because we were drumming home that message. If you don't need to be like this person, you could be like this person or this person. Somewhere in these 30 interviews, there will be somebody who is more similar to your style and they'll learn, learn from them. Yeah. That's great. That's great. And I'm glad to hear that, you know, I think that uh, I'm on the the right track with my advice because I I tend to say the, the, you know, similar things. Um, Because, yeah, some people are gifted at gathering people and making people people feel comforted um, or comfort, Mm -hmm. loved, welcomed, um, appreciated. And so if you have that gift, then then match that gift up with a friend who's naturally better at having those conversations and create the opportunities for them to rub shoulders and get to know each other and, and so on. Um, you know, Andy, I know that you're, you're a talented guy and you have done uh, a lot in your time, but I was surprised to learn that you've done stand-up comedy. <laughs> yeah. Not for long, but um, so perhaps not talented might not be the right word, but, but yeah, my first, my first foray into public speaking was in my late teens, early 20s, when I, um, yeah, a combination of stand-up comedy, a little bit of magic and conjuring, and some circus skills. I hung around <laughs> people who were into this stuff, and I tried uh-huh. some of this. I would particularly, you know, so, so yeah, I, I think it's a great, that was a great learning experience. And actually, to this day, Aaron, when I'm teaching communication, when I'm teaching, you know, pastors or other Christian speakers, one of the things I will often say is don't just listen to preachers. You know, yeah, sure, go and listen to another Tim Keller sermon. The guy was incredible. But go and watch some stand-up comedy. Go and go and watch, you know, Robin Williams or Penn and Teller or people who are as far from the Christian faith as it's possible to be, but watch how they communicate. How do they engage a crowd? How do they tell a story? Mm-hmm. How do they how do they get people tracking with them? We can learn a lot. Um, from from others, and this is thoroughly biblical. Look at Acts, Acts chapter seventeen. Paul goes around quoting Roman poets at mm-hmm. uh, at the Greeks, and we also know that Paul knew about Greek rhetoric, the way that you construct letters and an argument, because yeah. you know, scholars have analysed his writings and gone, "Oh, look, he's using the the, the communication methods." of the day um and by the way for those of you who are listening to this who are going well, well hang on again we're in billy graham mode i'm not a public speaker i just share my faith this way or that way the other untapped thing that i think we don't do as christians is look for ways to start gospel conversations from existing media so if you're sitting down and watching a movie with a friend you know who's not a christian keep one eye out are there themes in that movie are there are there ethical issues it raises are there 
are there big sort of gospel related themes are there you know is, is the movie saying something profound about what it means to be human uh, well bring that into the discussion with your friend afterwards over mm. a beer or a coffee you go hey i love that scene where you know so and so said that what did you think about that now some is some is it's some it's easy to do that with i mean you know lord of the rings i'm a massive tolkien fan if you can't start a spiritual conversation off lord of the rings you're in trouble um, but i actually firmly believe that every movie every tv show there's something and so you can do the same thing you can learn to learn to start where people are at yeah. rather than sort of feel you've got to somehow shoehorn them into into a, into a christian framework to even begin the conversation but yeah stand-up comedy for my uh, for my sins <laughs> and so uh did you have a stage name i didn't actually um kind of thing i was probably too busy ducking the fruit to uh to do that but um what i valued about say about that i think there were there been three big influences on on me well four big influences on on on, on my style of doing things there was stand-up comedy and learning for folks to do that there was um doing schools my first ever job ministry job was doing school in the uk called schools ministry so i was employed by a group of churches to try and build links to all the local high schools so mm -hmm. i got to go and do lessons and assemblies and help with reading programs and after school activities and trust me if you've been given a thousand young people on a monday morning you've got five minutes to talk to them and you can't be too christian or the head teacher will drag you off stage you learn some things very fast um, and then Speaker's Corner, which I talked about in my last book, going up to London, yeah. Hyde Park in London, standing on a ladder, preaching to Muslims, utter disaster for the first few months. But again, you learn you learn fast. And my takeaway from that has been to, you know, perhaps challenge a few listening to this show who this might be the right prod for them, is going, where are those places where you can just step beyond your comfort zones slightly? All of us mm -hmm. have those places. It'll look different for all of us. But it's interesting to say, okay, Lord, where could I just edge it slightly and go just slightly further than I would normally, somewhere I'm slightly uncomfortable, but I might learn something. Because I don't think we learn things in places of safety. It's often we risk things that that we learn more. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Getting That's just a basic principle that applies to every area of life. Growth is always on the other side of discomfort. It... Oh, look at that. You to... should, there you go. You should, so you should write motivational books. That's, right that's, like, that's, a, that's a chapter title. Yeah. Um, yeah. For those who aren't familiar, because I think this is just incredibly fascinating. Uh, can you just share a little bit more about Hyde Park? Yeah. So I talked about that uh, say a, bit, a bit in the last, the last book. Mm -hmm. So basically, I was... Um, during that time, I was doing schools ministry that I talked about uh, a while, a few minutes ago. Um, I got involved with um, a short-term mission project our church was running. We were taking teams of teenagers across Europe for the summer for two, three weeks to do outreach. And uh, one team was going to Turkey. So the organizers of this program put on a training week for the, for the month of mission, and they got someone to come and talk on Islam. Now, I was leading a group to Spain where there weren't any Muslims at that point, but, um, but I, went, I still nevertheless went and sat in the Islam training session. Never thought about Islam, never heard anything about Islam, never really encountered Muslims. Well, the guy doing that training session was an amazingly charismatic communicator. In fact, an American, actually, a guy called Jay Smith, who's done loads mm -hmm. of stuff with, with Muslims. You can Google Jay Smith and Islam and find all Jay's videos very compelling speaker so i went up to him afterwards and we chatted away and he said well you know every sunday andy i go to speaker's corner with a bunch of sort of 20 or 30 people and we go and reach muslims i stand on the ladder and preach and others in the crowd talk to muslims why don't you come come and see what we do oh well, that sounds great so two weeks later i went up to london was met by jay at the train station and he had two ladders and i went why have you got two ladders he went well i'm going to stand on one and preach andy and you're going to stand on the other and preach i went 
I thought I got to stand in the crowd and watch. He went, oh, no, 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 no. no. I said, there's, 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 a, there's, some, there's a spark there. You're, you, you know, you're, you're quite, you're quite, you know, sort of uh, natural with words. Like, we'll get on the ladder. I was like, I've never talked to Muslims before. He went, Andy, they're, they're easy, so easy. I went, I've never preached on the street before. He went, oh, it's a doddle. Anyone could do it. Well, he was wrong on both counts, spectacularly <laughs> wrong, because I just made a total pig's ear of it, and the Muslims tore me to pieces. They had questions and objections, and I remember getting down from the ladder thinking, well, I need to go and become a Muslim, really, because they have all the answers. I've got nothing. Um, but it was the following day I went to the local Christian bookstore just to see if there was anything that could help me with you know all this stuff they'd thrown at me, and that was when I first heard the word apologetics. The guy behind the counter heard my story of what had happened, and he said, oh, you want, you want Andy, is apologetics. I remember saying, well, what, what's that? Never heard the word. He went, well, it's, you know, it's all about giving answers to the kind of questions you've had. If you go down that section over there. And so I think I, I came out with a stack of books. I think, I think my first ever purchase was Josh McDowell, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, mm. which some listeners of this show may have come across. Classic book on apologetics. C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity, that was in there. Mm-hmm. Other things. Still got them on a shelf somewhere. Read and read and read. Got answers to every question they asked me. Aaron went back two weeks later ready, loaded for bear, and they had new questions, and they made me look stupid all over again. And for the next three months, I would go to Speaker's Corner every week or two. I would be humiliated in public, but I'd then come home and I'd read and read and read and get the answers, and slowly, over three months, I gained confidence. I began to get a handle on stuff, and I got to a stage where I was able to stand on my own two feet, and, and not, not answer every question, but feel confident. Um, but it was a great learning experience, and a couple of lessons. Not everyone listening to this is going to be called to do that. Don't get me wrong. Well, the, the, the danger of that story is people go, right, there again. You've got a, That's a Billy Graham type story. I couldn't do that. But look, I think the universal takeaways for me are, like we just said, sometimes you've got to go beyond your comfort zone. It was not, it was dead scary to get on that ladder. Um, but I did it and I'm glad I did it because I learned fast. And it, for some of the folks listening to this, it might be your job is to invite a colleague to lunch for a sandwich. And, and and talk about spiritual things. Your heart will be racing. It'll be as scary for you as going up a ladder. But you could still do it, couldn't you, with God's help and the Holy Spirit. And the second takeaway from there is community. Because the reason Speaker's Corner was actually a safe space, and despite the scariness, was I had Jay next to me. I wasn't on my own. If I, if I, if I, I wasn't totally annihilated. If, when this got really bad, he stepped in. And then there were 30 of us Christians at the corner, and then what we would do every week, we'd go to Speaker's Corner, engage with Muslims, and we'd all go out then for Kentucky Fried Chicken. Uh, other fast food joints are available. And we would sit around, we'd debrief what had gone well, what had gone badly. We'd encourage one another. We'd eat cheap, greasy food, and we'd pray together. And it was a big laugh, and that community helped. And I think evangelism is much easier. And it's much more fun when you're in community. So try and think about when you're reaching friends, neighbours, colleagues. Don't do it on your own. If you've got another Christian in your workplace buddy up together if you haven't got another christian in the workplace then um you know what about finding a friend at church who you can meet up with for you know a coffee once a month and talk about how it's gone and share stories and and pray for one another and encourage one another and in churches too let's be ensuring we don't expect people to be lone rangers in evangelism how do we put Mm -hmm. people together into community where they be praying for each other supporting one another and then you know even if the conversation went really terribly. You know that in a few days' time you get to hang out with your mates and share your sorrows and they'll pat you on the back and you know buy you another beer and you'll and you'll be able to debrief together. Uh, and so those lessons are universal, whether you're standing on a ladder or you're thinking about talking about your faith on campus. Yeah. So uh your sequel book to this one will be How to Share Jesus Without Being a Pig's Ear. Is did, yeah, did I did I pick up that, that expression right? 
Yeah, is that? Do you have that expression over we there? We don't. That is not one that I think I have we no have idea. in it's the states. It's one of those states. wonderful British expressions. Yeah. I don't, have no idea. Making a pig's ear or something is, yeah. you know, making a complete, yeah, a complete mess of it. So, um, but it sounds we, like you know, one thing that people can take away is that, and I mean this with no offense, of course, is that you know, it's okay to step outside your comfort zone and look like an idiot, and learn, but then and, and learn from it and go again and uh it's okay it's okay to not know to not have answers sometimes yes um you know you just I think it is yeah yeah and by the way on that very point and i think it's it's amazing more i think about this aaron that we the things we struggle with in evangelism we don't struggle quite as much with in other areas so for example you know the whole talking about jesus thing you know if you're if you're single and you suddenly fall in love and you meet the most amazing guy or girl and you know there's suddenly there's there's, there's there's pixie dust everywhere and rainbows dancing and unicorns singing and everything you have no problem telling your friends and colleagues that you've just fallen in love and met this amazing person yet we somehow have trouble when it comes to jesus so that that intrigues me slightly and then the idiot piece um Whenever you start a new activity or a new sport, you know, I use the analogy in the book of, of, of rock climbing. That's been a sport I've dabbled with on and off over the years. I'm pretty useless at it, but I know enough to, to have fun and be safe and so forth. But boy, when I started that, I, I looked like an idiot. I didn't know how to put a harness on. I didn't know how to tie a knot. I didn't know how to belay. Um, looked like a total doofus. But you know what? It's okay because I went with friends and knew what they were doing. I hired a couple of sessions at the rock with a rock climbing instructor. And whenever I'm on the climbing wall, I always make sure I know who's got the end of the rope. And I think in evangelism, I think being prepared to perhaps look a little foolish as we learn, but also remembering that the end of the rope is held by Jesus. Mm -hmm. You know, we do not do evangelism on our own. We should be doing it in community, but we certainly don't do it without the Holy Spirit and Christ going before us. Evangelism is not some game where we try and manipulate our friends into such a way that psychologically we defeat them and they say yes to Christianity. Mm. It's really the privilege of introducing to people to Jesus. Yeah. He's the one who's got the end of the rope. He's the one who holds us up. And if we realize that our job is to just bear faithful, consistent witness to him in the places he's put us and then trust him to work through us, then if we get ama if we if the results are amazing, fantastic. But if not, that's okay. We've still been faithful, and he hasn't chosen to do his thing at that moment. Yeah, I think it's a great test in humility uh, because yes. humility is so necessary in order to be able to take that risk and to be willing to put yourself in a position where you might be asked a question that you don't know the answer, or you might misstate something have to correct yourself all the things that happen you know in in evangelism for everybody uh, it takes humility yeah because yeah, if you're if you are uh you know too insecure in your self-image um your, your pride is too sensitive then yeah it's going to it's going to produce a fear that holds you back from ever stepping outside that comfort zone and just an interesting observation that if you found this over the years i have seen both in my own experience and watching others, sometimes you get surprisingly more fruit when someone doesn't know the answer and is willing to admit they don't know the answer than when you're a gifted apologist who knows all the answers. Because the danger is with the latter, for those of us who've read a lot and thought a lot, someone asks us a question, we leap straight into Bible answer mode, mm. um, and we miss that there's something else going on. You know, I've got a, an old friend of mine who's a former Buddhist monk, and has got one of the most amazing testimonies because his conversion came through, he spent some time at Brie when Francis Schaeffer was there in Switzerland mm. and uh, he would he went he went for some weeks and he would turn up at the Q&A sessions that Francis had every night and Ellis would try and ask the most difficult question he possibly could just to try and trip Schaeffer up 
and you know this went on for some weeks and then finally one night he came up with a question that he thought not even Schaefer could answer and he asked Francis Schaefer when they're you know, surrounded by 30 or 40 other students they're all listening and my friends asked this question he says okay uh, Dr Schaefer tell me why God it's a very Buddhist question that why God and Ellis said Schaefer thought about it about five ten minutes puffed on his pipe stared into the fire thought long and hard and then finally looks him in the eye and goes you know Ellis I don't know I don't know. I know that he is, but I can't answer why. And Ellis said, that answer broke me. And he gave his life to Christ two or three days later. He said, it broke me because there was a humility. Francis was willing to, in front of 30 students, say, I don't know. He said, it broke me because he took my question seriously. I was a stupid young man just showing off, but but Dr. Schaefer, he said, took me seriously. He thought about the question really hard. Mm. And and then, yeah, he was willing to, to say, I don't know. And he said, I suddenly realised it wasn't a game for him. That was the moment I was like, this is not a game. This is real. And um, and so, yeah. So sometimes, who knows? Actually saying, I don't know. That's a really good question. I don't know the answer. Mm. I'll, I'll think about it for you. And I'll go and do, talk to perhaps older, wiser Christians if it really matters to you. But right now, right here, I don't, I don't know the answer. I know who Jesus is. I know I can trust him. I know he hasn't let me down. But I can't answer that particular question at this moment. Mm. Wow. Yeah, you know, and, and that reminds me of a time that uh, there, there was a friend of mine who we would regularly engage in uh, discussions and debates at, at the coffee shop that we went to. And uh, so just every time we'd run into each other there, we'd sit next to each other and eventually start having some kind of uh, conversation. And uh, and there was one time that he had a, and I can't remember exactly what it was about, but he had some kind of objection or problem with the Bible that he brought up. He was explaining it to me. And it was one of those moments where it was an I don't know moment. And so I told him, I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Never heard of this. Let's look it up. We're at a coffee shop. We both had our computers open. And so, you know, right there with him, I Googled it and read a little bit and I said, oh, okay, look, here's an answer. And, uh, and, and that, I think that was the only time that he said, oh, I was wrong about that. Interesting. You know, because otherwise he was, he was difficult to uh, get to change. But that was, that was the only time that I re- remember, like, very clearly, distinctly. He said, oh, okay, I was wrong about that. It was, um, you know, all because I said, I don't know, and we had to look it up. I want to go back to uh, the, the topic of asking good questions because I think that one is so crucial uh, and one that people overlook. You mentioned also that Jesus utilized this strategy of asking good questions with people. So can you go into that Uh how Jesus did it and how we can do that and asking good questions. Yeah, so a good example, I mean, I use in, in the book, I've got a whole chapter where we look at a whole a series of examples of dialogues that Jesus had with, with questions at the center of them. One I've used for years, actually, that I, I, found, I found fascinating when I first noticed this is the, uh, is the very well-known story of, of Jesus and the rich young ruler. So the story of the young man who comes to Jesus and says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And if you remember, Jesus says to him, why do you call me good? Only God is good. And if you think about it, that's a really odd response, isn't it? Because, you know, none of us would use that response. You know, if this podcast got interrupted by someone knocking on the door and you went and opened your door and it was your next door neighbour and your neighbour says to you, good Christian, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You might say, uh, I'll see you later, I've got a podcast going on. But you probably wouldn't use that Jesus answer. So why does Jesus not just say, I'm the son of God, follow me? Or something along those lines. Why there was business about why do you call me good? Only God is good. And then you stop and think about it for a moment and say, well, hang on a minute. Um, 
you know, it's interesting that if you were to grab, even today, your typical non-Christian friend, to think of a neighbour, a friend, a classmate, a colleague, someone in your life who's not a Christian, and you were to say to them, look, grant me a couple of things, just for the sake of argument. Grant me that God exists. I know you don't believe that, but just pretend for a moment. And then secondly, grant me that there's a heaven. Again, I know you don't believe in heaven, but just for a moment, pretend. So there's a God, there's a heaven. What do you need to do? What would you think you would need to do to get there? If there were a God and if there were a heaven? And of course, the interesting thing is you ask people that question, Aaron, and the most common answer is the good person answer. Most people plump for, well, I suppose if there is a God, and if there were an afterlife, you know, as long as I live a decent life, or, you know, I've lived a decent sort of life, I haven't murdered anybody, then, then I'll be okay. And that's what the young man is saying to Jesus. He's saying, well, you look like a good person. If you're a famous rabbi and obviously big following, clearly you're a good moral guy, so you're clearly going to heaven, so how do I get there? So Jesus has to untangle all of that and he does it not with a lecture, a sermon, a parable, or a, or a pithy saying. You know, he does it with a question. When he says to the young man, why do you call me good? Only God is good. It's a very clever question because he's basically affirming the young man's starting point. He's saying, well, you know, if all good people go to heaven, sure, that's fine. Who is good? Only God. So who gets to go to heaven? I'm afraid only God gets to go. And uh, your application to join the Trinity has been turned down this morning. Um, it also raises the much bigger question if the young man has seen that Jesus is good, and only God is good, who does it make Jesus? And he does all of that with a with a question. Um, and that sort of questioning a premise is something that we can learn to do very simply, a very simple way of doing it, and I'm not the first to, to, to suggest this. I mean, others, you know, Greg Cokel, Randy Newman, um, Alistair McGrath, others have ploughed a similar territory, just not in such a simple form or with comedy footnotes. Um, I would say that learning to pick up on a word your friend has said and interrogate it slightly. So if someone says to you something like, well, you know, how can you believe in God? I can't believe in God, there's no evidence. Rather than be all flummoxed or go, oh, well, great. You know, I, uh, I've read an apologetics book. Let me give you the 60 minute lecture. Mm -hmm. What if you said to your friend, well, interesting you use the word evidence. What do you mean by evidence? What does that word mean to you? What would you need to see or hear to be persuaded there's God? You're probably gonna be a far more productive if you lead with that, because then you'll get a bit more to work with. Um, yeah. Similarly, if someone says, I don't believe in God, it can be interesting to go, well, that's interesting. You know, what do you mean by God? When you say, I don't believe in God, flesh that word out for me a bit. And you'll probably get some very weird response, like, well, I don't believe in the, in, in the, in the, in the guy who lives in the sky with a big beard and throwing lightning bolts at people, to which you can, if you want to, say, well, that sounds somewhat like the illegitimate offspring of Thor and Father Christmas. Quite frankly, that's not what I believe in. And the more you practice that, Aaron, you can do it all over the place. One more fun one. If someone says they're an atheist, really interesting question to say, well, atheist tells me what you don't believe. What do you believe? I mean, I don't believe in the tooth fairy, but I don't define myself as an a-tooth fairian because you wouldn't, if I did that, that wouldn't tell all the things I do believe. So, okay, mm. you don't believe in God. What do you believe? Yeah. What do you think it means to be human? What do you think the What do you think life is about? What do you think we're made for? You know, how do you decide good and evil and all kinds of things? Tell me more. So learning to question, like Jesus did, can be can be really helpful. And in the book, I teach four four questions that you can kind of use again and again to do this. Yeah, that's great. It shows how uh, a little bit of preparation can can really help. It can help overcome those nerves. It can help with a smooth conversation. You know, I think there's a balance to strike there where you don't want to, of course, have like a cookie cutter response that you use with everybody. Yes. But just learning how to ask good questions is a great way to hit that balance where you're prepared, but you're also uh, flexible, you're agile in the conversation. Yeah, 
And just by the way, one, one very quick thing though, I totally agree on the cookie cutter. What you can do though, and the step we sometimes miss, I think Christians make two mistakes here. We either go cookie cutter, we memorize some outline and we bang everybody over the head with it, even when it's not appropriate. Or we have nothing and we sort of flap around wondering what to do. The alternative is in your head, have a bit of a structure that you want to work through, but be flexible about how you how you do that. So actually in the previous book, I taught four questions there's something about me and four questions. <laughs> um, I taught these questions that you don't use them exactly, but to try and get to them in a conversation, you know, do you believe in God? And if so, what is God like? Um, what do you think it means to be human? What's a human being? What do you think has gone wrong with the world? And what do you think the solution is? Now, don't woodenly parrot those, but in a conversation, your mind have, I would love to, with the person I'm talking to, explore those those areas. And just mm. having that framework there behind the scenes yeah. can be helpful. Yeah. So whenever we're having conversations with people and uh, asking questions, showing interest, how do we eventually get to putting Jesus at the center of that conversation? You know, Because I think that can feel like a really awkward um, task for some people. Uh, but if we're going to do evangelism, then uh, Jesus has got to come into the picture. So how do we keep Jesus at the center in the conversation? Mm. Great question, and you're, and, and you're right. If you're not careful, if you don't keep Jesus at the center, I think a couple of things can happen. Aaron. Or there's, there's two mistakes we can make, I think, can happen. First thing is we can, we can do it really clumsily, like you've, you've implied there. We can be talking at a very simple level about the weather or the you know yesterday's football game, and then suddenly write, oh, so Jesus. And it's <laughs> like, you know... No, it, it, it's a horrible kind of crunching noise rather that someone's dropped gravel into a gearbox uh, and no wonder our friends sort of struggle the other danger is we go the other way and we say we say nothing um, or even we just have endless arguments about you know philosophy and we never actually bridge to, to Jesus so in the book what I talk about is you know take the time take the time to learn to have conversations and, and just work through those naturally and, and do a lot of listening to the spirit too and praying you know, the more we saturate our conversations in prayer, that's going to help. But when you get that sense, it might be a time that you'd like to. It would feel it would feel natural at this point. You're not going from the football to Jesus, but maybe you're going from you know, how do we find hope when the world is in chaos, uh, or something to to, to 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 bigger spiritual things. You can look for opportunities to say something like, you know, this conversation you know reminds me of something that Jesus once said. Or this conversation reminds me of a story that, that Jesus once told. Or this conversation reminds me of something that Jesus did. Mm -hmm. And that this reminds me of, you're, you're bridging then into, into narrative. You're bridging into the Gospels rather than sort of just doc, bland doctrinal points. And you're intriguing people because you're then going to tell a bit of a story about what Jesus said or did or, or whatever. Let me give an example of how this might work. I tell the story in the book of a couple of years ago. I was chatting, a friend and I were chatting with a university student we'd met on a campus somewhere who actually mentioned, um, actually sort of led early on in the conversation with, that she found Jesus quite quite intriguing, which was a great start, yeah. actually. But then very quickly came the stinger, but how can I take Christianity seriously when so many of your leaders have failed spectacularly? You know, mm. the media seems full of stories of Christian leaders who've abused their position for power, sex, you know, money or whatever. And to go, my word, I mean, what a, what a horrific question not not in that it was anything wrong with her asking it but just because it's so tough because mm -hmm. the, the, there's been a lot of rubbish of the church in recent years but you know as i reflected on it i thought well 
on the one hand, it was, my immediate reaction was defend the church a bit and go, well, there are some examples, but there's also some good stuff, but that doesn't really work. Then I just I got a sense, I think, from the spirit nudging me just to look at her and go, well, you know what? I completely agree with you. I totally agree with you. I'm not going to push back at all. I, I, I agree with you. There's a load of rubbish out there and it completely distresses me and I find it utterly abhorrent because it's so antithetical to the way that Jesus behaved. You know, it's Jesus is the standard by which we should judge the church and you're dead right. And I said, your question actually reminds me of the time, the story of when Jesus washed his disciples' feet. Do you know that story? And she said, well, no, I don't. I don't know that story. And then my colleague went, well, have you got a couple of minutes? Would you mind if we cracked open a Bible and took a look? And she's like, no, yeah, I'd, I'd love to. So my colleague popped open the, the Bible, read that story, and we had this great discussion around what servant leadership looked like and how countercultural this was for a, Jew a Jewish rabbi with you know authority and respectability to be doing this. And then that led very naturally to another bridge where we were able to say, well, and the other thing this reminds me of in terms of Jesus and and, and, and servant leadership is, of course, it obviously reminds us or should remind us what he did at the end of his life when he died there on the cross. Here was someone with ultimate power, um, but rather than use that to victimise others, he became a victim. And I was able to say any Christian leader who doesn't at least remind you in some way of what Jesus did and carried on probably doesn't deserve the title Christian, but judge them by the standard of Jesus um, and hold them to account on that. And we were able to give her a gospel and she took it away. Hmm. Um so that was a really good example for me of how sometimes this isn't right in every conversation again we're not teaching people wooden tools where every time you should do this yeah. but if we are attuned for looking for ways when it might be a natural way that this reminds me of store a way of doing it. and i think the other reason that works by the way aaron is that sometimes and non-christian friends get get a bit suspicious when christians give the impression that we're trying to correct them when we're like okay your problem is you need to know about jesus let me give you this answer mm -hmm. um that can cause defenses to come up in the same way if someone who was a muslim tried it onto us but if you go hmm this reminds me of you're inviting them in you're inviting them to take a look come and see like, like Philip says to Nathaniel in John chapter 1, come and see. Come and see if this is the Messiah that we found. I'm not going to give you an argument, but hey, come and take a look. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. And I think that it, um, you know, because to someone on the outside who's not a Christian, then they, they look at Christianity and Christians, the church, as just as a group that they're not in, you know, or, or worse, a cult or something else. And so for those kind of questions where they're um, pointing out hypocrisy in the church or something else, um, yeah, it's good to not immediately try to defend that objection because to a lot of people who aren't Christians, our evangelism efforts can just at the beginning to them feel like an effort to get them to join our group. Yeah. Well, we're, what we're really trying to do is introduce them to Jesus and uh, have them enter into a relationship with Jesus and then joining the kingdom and becoming a part of the church comes after that. It, it's connected to it. You can't separate them. Uh, but primarily it's about introducing them to Jesus, not, uh, just getting them to join our club. So what would you, uh, hope is someone's main takeaway after listening to this conversation today before they go buy the book? Yes, obviously, but well, buy the book, right? Ideally buy a barrow load of books and give them to all of their friends. That'd be very exciting. <laughs> no, I think for me, I think Aaron, I think that I hope the takeaway for people listening to this and, and then obviously hopefully in time reading the book would be a sense of going you know i can do this god can god can use me um because i think so say i think so many folks in the church don't share their 
faith because they're afraid and i get excited about hey what would it look like if if even half the christians in church on sunday felt more empowered to talk about jesus naturally with friends neighbors and colleagues it would be it would be amazing because i don't know the numbers for the for the us but there was a big survey done here recently in the uk like last year called the talking jesus survey and it it looked at both christians and non-christians and one of the things it found which boggles my mind is that more non-christians were open to having conversations about faith than christians were willing to have them Hmm. so it was something like you know one in something like one in three even higher than that people would be were very open to having conversations about faith if it was done respectfully and they were listened to yet i think something like only one in one in 20 christians regularly said they talked about their faith with their friends neighbors and colleagues wow so that really was like staggered me and i suspect something similar is probably the case because our cultures are not dissimilar that that you know while the number of people identifying as no religion is rising that's not transferring into you know vast amounts of virulent atheists running around the place it's transferring to a lot of people who are suspicious about the church but are looking for something spiritually yeah and and i can put and i love the way you described it there a moment ago if we can help people see we're not trying to win people to our tribe um we're trying to introduce people to christ and then if they follow him then they'll get plugged into a church and we're relaxed if that's our church great if it's the church down the road don't care um we want to see them following christ and then everything flows from that so i think there's an openness there and so i think we're in this strange time in culture where there's there's a great spiritual openness but there's a greater reticence by many christians uh, to talk about Jesus naturally. So my hope would be that something of what we said this afternoon or as they read the book would encourage them. And then the last thing I'd say, by the way, is this is a great book to get into the hands of young people um, because I think evangelism starts young. I I wish I'd had more people helping me with evangelism when I was like 13, 14, 15. Often in the church we can think, well, you couldn't possibly you know, start engaging and sharing your faith until you're 20, 25, 30, 35, and going, quite frankly, you know, we need to be helping young people in our church who are 10, 11, 12, 13, teenagers, figure out how do they naturally have conversations about faith. And the conversational route is such a great way to go Mm -hmm. because anyone can learn to do that, whether they are 12 years old or 82 years old. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Well, I'm really excited that you wrote the book, and I hope that people listening to this podcast and um, and watching on YouTube will go and get a copy. Uh, you know, I didn't mention before that I'm very—I've read a lot of um, apologetics and evangelism books, and particularly with evangelism books, I'm very picky. But this one, I give a hearty endorsement. So, uh, so you guys go get it. This one is absolutely worth it. Um, a lot of those out there are filled with a lot of fluff. Um, not, not all that helpful. Um, and, but this one is, this one is absolutely, it has substance. It's helpful. And so I highly, highly recommend uh, you guys getting this one. So once again, the book is called how to talk about Jesus without looking like an idiot or does that sound? Yeah. Without looking like an idiot. I'll have it linked in the show notes below so you guys can go get a copy. Uh, before we go, Andy, do you want to tell people how they can follow, continue following your work? Uh, and the other things you yeah, do. Yeah, that's very kind. And thank you for that's very kind words about the book, Aaron. Thank you very much for that. So the way people can find uh, me is the easiest way to find me is uh, the the organisation I work for. We've got a slightly strange URL. So just Google Andy Bannister, my name followed by Solas S O L A S, Andy Bannister Solas. Or if you can't remember that, you can Google Andy Bannister Speaker, and you will find the Solas 
website. Solas is the Scots, the Scottish word, the Gaelic word for light. And there's loads of free resources, thousands of free resources on that website, both in terms of equipping you for evangelism and that you can use in evangelism content that's very non-Christian friendly. So do, yeah, I really encourage you, do take, a, do take a look and anything you see there, you can use, download, copy, share, don't need to ask our permission. We're happy for it to be to be used to, to further God's kingdom. So do do check it out. Excellent. And you have a podcast as well, or two podcasts. I, I have, yeah, yes, exactly. I think you said before we press record, you were collecting watches. I'm collecting podcasts. <laughs> so we, um, through Solas, we do a podcast called Pep Talk, the Persuasive Evangelism Podcast, where every couple of weeks, myself and my co-host interview someone who's doing evangelism in a different way. And the different way is key because I said earlier on in this interview, right, there are different styles. So if you listen to that podcast every episode, you'll get somebody doing things differently, which means some you'll look at and go, oh, that's not me. Others you'll go, oh, great, yeah, that's much more similar. I can learn from that. And then I also, Aaron, have a podcast uh, called uh, Pod of the Gaps, which I do with a guy called Aaron. So I have to remember your Aaron, not Aaron. Aaron Edwards, who's a friend of mine over here. And then every... Well, we call it an occasional podcast. It was supposed to be every week, then it became every two weeks. Now it's about monthly, mm-hmm. where we look at a big issue in culture and we think about it from the from a biblical perspective, but not to try and sort of score points or engage in culture wars. We want Christians to be wise to think these things through, and also we're also keen to see how people can also share Christ through some of these big issues in culture, whether it's environmentalism or transgenderism or artificial intelligence. Yeah. Big issues out there. I think it's crucial as Christians we're equipped so we can speak wisely into these times, but in all of it, point folks to Christ. Yeah. Great. Well, guys, if you're interested in any of that, whether it's checking out Solus, uh, his podcast with Solus, or uh, Pot of the Gaps, I'll have all that linked in the show notes so you guys can go and um, and check those out and subscribe to those. I'll have his social media on there too so you can uh, follow him and keep up with the work that he's doing. Well, Andy, thanks a lot, man. Uh, you're, you're one of my favorite guests to have on, and so we've got to find out a way to do this more frequently than just every two years. Um, you either need to write more books or... It's very kind of you. Very, very kind yeah. of you, Aaron. I, I, and, and I, I would just reciprocate by saying of all the podcasts I've ever been on, this has been the most recent. <laughs> well, I'll take that. I love our conversations. It's great to, great to be back, yeah. and hopefully I'll be back again. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for your time today. Likewise. God bless. Thanks for listening. I hope this episode provided you with biblical clarity to live with confidence in our confusing world. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch up the latest from me, you can go to my website, AaronChamp.com. While you're there, subscribe to my newsletter so that you can be updated anytime I share new content. You can also follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Aaron M. Champ. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time. Until then, hold fast.